On today's episode of It's Always Something in Philadelphia, the Sixers and Flyers, they had a tough end to their weekend. Flyers, a tough overall weekend. Uh, We circle back to A.J. Brown calling out the Philly media, and the Fightins are back. Spring training, 2-0. We'll get into all of it. But let's start with A.J. Brown and the Eagles. So for those of you who don't know, there's been a lot of sort of weird discussion with A.J. Brown and just the Eagles in general based on how they finished the season, had that epic collapse, lost six of the last seven games. A.J. Brown, not as productive as he was during that six-game stretch where he was on another level. There's conversations about him being a sideline issue or you know locker room issue. Is Jalen a good leader? All this stuff. And just recently with the past couple of weeks of the offseason post-Super Bowl now, there's been weird reports that you know maybe A.J. isn't isn't liked, or there's been some weird, like other more ominous reports, like from some some guy on I think Fox or FS1, who was saying like, yeah, there's a real problem in the Eagles locker room. It's something that you know no man should ever have to deal with, and don't be surprised if a high profile player isn't there next year. And people were, were you know, speculating if that was AJ Brown, and just a lot of weird stuff. And then WIP themselves, maybe some of their talent were spewing or discussing these reports or ideas of it. Most notably, just their social media, like they like to do polls, you know, Twitter polls. And a lot of it, some of them were like, should A.J. Brown be back? Do you want A.J. Brown? Like weird stuff like that, just creating sort of controversy out of, to me, what's not nothing, but nothing truly important. Just seems like offseason talk, right? So this is going on. At the same time, A.J. Brown, he's like tweeting from his Twitter that was his, but then was hacked and is now his again. It was very confusing, but it was this Twitter Twitter handle, and he called out Philly media, saying that they're always trying to stir up controversy. Do they even like their players? Do they even like what they're doing? Why are they doing this? And I agree with all those points. Um, and then he says he's going to call in to WIP to clear the air, and he does. He calls right in and sort of lets them say what they want to say, but then also comes out and says, like, hey, I'm not what you think is happening. Like whatever you're saying is wrong and kind of questioning them as to saying like, why are you spreading all of this news and creating all this controversy? The answer, well, they didn't say it is basically it's the off season and it creates clicks, but he addresses all those issues and he basically dispels most of them. He says he wants to be an Eagle. He enjoys being here. He enjoys playing here and he wants to play here. He didn't say it for a long time, but he says he likes being here. So hopefully it's for the length of his contract and some. So I think he's great for this team. Talks about Jalen Hurts, says there's no issue with him and Jalen's relationship. And in terms of him being a more vocal or active leader, he says Jalen's himself. And it's not up to him to to tell Jalen how to be or what to be, and he wouldn't try to do that. So he has Jalen's back there. And then he says as a player and as a person, he feels like he's misunderstood. And he acknowledged that there was the whole situation with Terrell Owens back in the day, and he was sort of that diva wide receiver. and he feels and hears the comparisons being made to him because he's the most talented receiver the Eagles have had since T.O. And he's had little flare-ups on the sidelines and he turned off his social media and he wasn't speaking to me, to reporters and all that stuff. And so people have started connecting dots that maybe aren't there. And he feels like people are misunderstanding or, or falsely representing the type of person he is. So he called in to clear all of that up and to give himself a better light. And I just want to you know, tip my cap to AJ Brown. I think that's a really awesome, responsible, mature thing to do to say, Hey, I'm not going to let all this nonsense keep going on around me. I'm going to call in. I'm going to clear the air, set the record straight. 
I know maybe the more mature thing would to maybe go the Jalen Hurts route and just leave it silent and stay off social media and, and not give it any light. But I think this is good for him. It's early in the offseason and addressing it and nipping it in the bud right now. Hey, I, I'm an eagle. I want to be an eagle. And that's where I'm going to be for a long time. So I, I think that's that was a, a, a good sign of who he is as a person. And it's a shame to me that he feels like this misunderstood athlete who's being put labels based on what's happened before him and certain issues when that doesn't seem like who he is as a person. Now, granted, you take everything with a grain of salt. If someone says, I'm not this, I'm this, you know, you have to, if someone's trying to employ you that there's something, actions speak louder than words and most likely, you know, that their true colors will show. I'm saying AJ Brown is probably somewhere in the middle, probably closer to being this misunderstood, truly, you know, holistic, good person than he is this, diva wide receiver i don't think he's that sure he's a great player and i think some things will happen on the sidelines in the heat of the moment that he's demanding the ball but i don't think he's this locker room dividing person that certain people in the philly media are painting him to be so kudos to you aj brown like i said when i started this podcast my goal to enter this you know crowded philly sports media space was to not be someone who attacks and rips players as our guest last week josh reynolds likes to say all the time nobody hates Philly sports athletes more than Philly sports media and nobody hates Philly sports media more than Philly sports fans. So I'm trying to not be lumped into that group of people who are hating the athletes. And so I, I give my highest, you know, commends and, and kudos to AJ Brown for, for just attacking the issue right away and, you know, putting himself out there being live on the radio, you know, saying, Hey, what do you want to know? I'll, I'll tell you, I'll clear anything up. So shout out to him. The Sixers, had an interesting weekend. Um, so they started, well, last week they had their first game with Kyle Lowry. And I do want to bring up something really quickly just because I think it's fun. Um, so there's another Sixers podcast, Rights to Ricky Sanchez. They've been doing it for like over 10 years and they're great, phenomenal and all that stuff. I started listening to them this summer before I had my own podcast and I think they're great, do awesome work. They were at the games. Uh, Sixers game against the Knicks ringing the bell. They got to ring the bell. Good for them. That's not really what I care about right now. They have a producer on their show that looks to me exactly like one of my closest friends and college roommates, Grant. Grant is the person who introduced me to the podcast. I started listening to it, watching on YouTube, and I would see the producer pop up on the YouTube stream. And I thought, oh my God, this is a twin of my friend Grant. You guys are the same person. His name's CJ. My friend's name's Grant. And I said, you guys are the, the same person. And Grant kind of brushed it off. Said, yeah, you know, I see a little bit. They went. They had their live podcast after they rang the bell. And Grant lives in the area. He went, met up, and took a picture with CJ, which I'll attach here. And I just want to... I feel validated because seeing them together... You know, I've seen separate pictures in my head. And I'm going, okay, you guys are very close looking. Seeing them together has validated me that... I'm not crazy, and I do think they look alike, but Grant or CJ or if anyone, if you want to disprove me wrong or just accuse me of being racist to blonde-haired men with mustaches, that's fine. I think this proves that you guys are probably some distant relatives somewhere. So I thought that was cool. Anyway, back to more Sixers-focused stuff. Uh, they beat the Cavs on Saturday, I believe. It was that or Friday. Um, a nice game by Tyrese Maxey, turning it on in the fourth quarter. Another weird win over the Cavs that maybe, I don't know if these Cavs are just not as good as their record shows or if the Sixers have just played them well the past two times they've played them. 
but a great win. You need everyone you can get in this Embiidless times. But then we get to yesterday's loss to the Bucks. Sunday afternoon game at home. Doc Rivers coming back to Philly with the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously no Embiid, but would have been nice to, you know, stick it to Doc or at least just keep it close. And it just got out of hand quickly. Turned into a blowout. Um, not really a whole lot to say about the game specifically. Um, B-Ball Paul had a nice start to it, but without Embiid, the rebounding and rim protection on this team is atrocious. And I talked about this with Josh, but this then ties into the perimeter defense also being bad because when you have someone like Embiid sitting back there in the paint, protecting the rim like he does, you can be a little more aggressive and in the face of your shooter when you're a perimeter defender. If you don't know that Embiid's back there, you don't really trust that as much. And so you're giving them a little bit more space to not let them drive by you. Maybe you have help defense coming over from the other side. What that does is leave shooters a ton of space. And the Sixers have been getting torched on three-point shooting. The Bucks were shooting like over 50% or close to 50% in the first half of this game. And in the three-point era where we are right now, if a team gets hot from three and you let them get hot from three, it's so easy to find yourself down 8, 10, 15, 20 points. And that's hard to crawl out of, especially when you're missing a key offensive and defensive player in Joel Embiid. So that game, not great. Probably the worst part of that game for a lot of people. It was another bad Tobias game. Uh, really bad. I'll look up his stats. But recently, Tobias, in this period without Embiid, has just not filled the role that he needs to. Okay, And in this game, he played 31 minutes. He had eight points and eight rebounds, zero assists. And that's not good enough. And it's been beat to death. The pressure on Tobias because of his contract is not fair. And the vitriol and hate he gets from Sixers fans is also not fair because he's a good person and he is a very solid, if not very good basketball player. But he's got to be better. He's got to do more. And really, when you're paid that high, for sure, but it doesn't matter that he's paid this much. When you are someone who has shown that you can be a reliable or an effective scorer, you need to be more reliable, especially in games and in the stretch when you don't have your leading scorer in Joel Embiid. You just, he has to be better. There's really no excuse for it. Um, just eight points, 31 minutes. That, that's, it's not enough. And I know Tyrese Maxey had an awesome moment in the post-game press conference where he was asked about, you know, how, how do you think Tobias can get going? He put it all on himself and said, you know, I'm the point guard. It's on me to get him in a better position to score more. And I have to help him get in that spot. It's on me as, you know, the, the person running the offense. Tip of the cap to Tyrese Maxey, being a leader, being that guy we can see him growing into the franchise player. And sort of part of that is right as the point guard. You want to get your ball to your scorers, but... The other part of that is just Tobias Harris being aggressive, shooting catch-and-shoot threes, driving strong to the rim, and sort of not taking over offensively. He doesn't need to take over, but being aggressive and decisive on the offensive end and providing for your team. When you're the really the second option, when it's Tyrese and then him, he can't be an eight-point scorer. He's got to be better. And you know when you have a player like Tobias, when Embiid's healthy and Maxie's going and maybe have healed having a good night, whatever it is, he can be that fourth scorer. That's fine, regardless of what your contract is. But if you're that third or fourth guy, you need to be responsible, A, if any of your players get hurt, 
you need to put on a bigger load and score more. Or B, just even if your players aren't having a great game, if Embiid's having an off night, Maxi's having an off night, you need to be able to be that person to step up and fill in that void on the offensive end. He hasn't done that as of late. It's in a really tough stretch. He's been at, you know, asked about it after the game, and same with Maxi. And it's just, it's going to start compounding until it gets better. And with Tobias Harris, there's sort of a, a trend that you see. He will play really bad, and everyone says, "Oh my God, is the worst contract ever? Get him off the team, trade him, whatever." And then he will start playing really well, and he'll have a stretch where maybe he's averaging 20, 22 plus. And he takes over a game, and maybe he wins a game. He does that for a three to four game stretch, and you go, "Oh my God, Tobias Harris! Okay, maybe he can be that you know that third guy in the playoffs that we need." And all the national TV announcers will keep, uh, you know, keep complimenting him and and really enjoying what he does. A little confusingly, the the way the national announcers love him is, is something else. But he'll go on that stretch where he'll be a really good player. And then he'll come back to earth and he'll be Tobias. He'll be a quiet 15 to 18 Tobias Harris. And then he'll go back to another bad stretch. And that's just sort of the Tobias Harris experience. He's down, he's way up, he's mid. He's down, he's way up, he's mid. And that's just how it goes. He's been here all five years of his mega contract, never traded. We're stuck with him for at least till the end of the year. And you got to just hope he finds a rhythm, finds a confidence to get back in you know, good to bias or even just like mid to bias scoring 15 to 18. You just, you can't have him with the contract, with the responsibilities he has with no Embiid scoring less than 10 points a game. It's unacceptable. And it doesn't get any easier for the Sixers. Uh, We knew this part of the schedule was tough. Um, Their immediate next game, they play the Boston Celtics who are rolling right now. They look very good. I'll, I'll bet that's another blowout. I'm not seeing a situation like the Cavs where it's a weird one and they pull it out. I think this one might be close for a quarter, maybe a half, but I think you know an explosive third quarter, maybe a shooting barrage by the Celtics. We'll, we'll get this one ugly in a hurry, so might as well chalk this one up as a loss. Then they get the Hornets. Should be a nice rebound win, even though they're playing better post-All-Star break. And then they have a little bit easier of a schedule. They have the Mavs, which will be tough, but then the Nets, Grizzlies, and Pelicans. So... You got to just string together wins when you can. I told Josh Reynolds when I had him on last week that if you can go 500, and I think this team with all of their pieces besides Embiid back is at least a 500 team, I hope, then you're in a good spot to stay out of the play-in. But I don't know. Thing, things are looking... This is not a fun team to watch without Embiid, although Maxi can be fun. Well, I'll say this. This team has... There's a scale for me with this team. When they win... This team without Embiid. When they win, they're inspiring. It's sort of a, you know, not process era, but early Embiid, late process era, inspiring of like, yeah, okay, look at these guys. They can win. Maxi having a great game. Oh, maybe Buddy Heald's going off from three. Okay, yeah. Ubre is attacking and actually hitting his dunks and not missing every single one for an entire game. And it's sort of an inspiring, they can do it. Or it's just sad. You go, okay, this isn't a, an NBA playoff caliber team. Not even close. This might not even be a play-in team. So they flip-flop from inspiring to sad. It's really a roller coaster, and it's so different from where this team was at the beginning of the season. It seems like years ago now, but during the stretch of the season when Embiid was playing the level he was, they were blowing out teams. Embiid, on average, wasn't playing the fourth quarter. 
So they were going from dog walking every team that wasn't a top, you know, four or five team in the league to now every game, whether it's a good or a bad team they're playing, is intense and you got to ride it. And they're either going to lose it or win it right at the end or get blown out on the other end of the spectrum. So it's been a, a weird period without Embiid trying to weather the storm, as Josh Reynolds says. And I keep mentioning his name. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with Josh, I will listen to it. He's phenomenal, super positive and, and insightful on everything Philadelphia 76ers. And it was a really great episode. He was my first guest, the first guest on this show. There will be more, more people in the media, athletes, people surrounding Philadelphia sports. But for now, this is the, he's the first guest I've had. And I think it's a, a really enjoyable episode if you want to hear a lot of Sixers opinions that aren't coming out of my mouth because you probably are tired of listening to me too much. So listen to that one. But Sixers, Celtics, that's going to suck. The Flyers, they had a pretty tough weekend as well. They played the first place Rangers this weekend. They lost two to one. It was a good game. They fought hard. They were maybe the better team, some would say. Just couldn't find the net enough times. And that's a loss you can live with. You wish you got points, but you can live with that loss. The story of that game, though, not really the game. It was the fight between Matt Remp and Nick Delorier. Just a classic old school heavyweight bout. Two big guys just trading haymakers back and forth, back and forth. I mean, it went at it for... 30 to 45 seconds, just trading blows. Both faces bloody and bruised and cut. Delorier ended up getting the takedown. Probably took a couple more punches. He's also much older and smaller than Rempe. So, you know, take that as you will. But just really fun, awesome stuff. It's just a good reminder as to why hockey's great, letting fights like that happen. And it was fun. It's one of those things, whether you watched it live or saw the clip later online, you just went, nice. Hell yeah. It's a ton of fun. Um, part of me, and I know this year's team isn't quite like that, but just I'm a little triggered from Flyers teams of my entire life. I feel like because of just the, you know, the Broad Street bullies from the 70s and 80s Flyers that anytime the Flyers aren't really up to par in terms of talent on their team, they're always just going to be go the route of like, well, we'll just be the toughest team. And I don't think this team is it. But seeing that Delorier fight just gave me like the the vibes of you know the past 10, 15 years of like, well, the Flyers aren't great, but they're gonna they're gonna fight you. And I don't know if they're not gonna be great, I guess it's fun, but I would rather see them do well also. Um, so that happened. And then last night, after the Bucks Sixers game, the Flyers played the Penguins. Arch rivals, the Penguins always would love to beat them. Penguins aren't having as great as a year as usual. Cindy Crosby's getting old although he torched the Flyers again like he always does. And they end up losing in a shootout, not a shootout in the end, but just the game was a shootout, 7-6. to six. Super high-scoring game. Really rough game for the new backup goalie, Cal Peterson. Just, I mean, not all seven of those goals were buttes, you know? He, there's a couple of those you probably should got some pad or some stick in front of. Got, got a lot of hate online after that one. It was tough. It was tough to see that many goals go in and not that many of them be really, you know, unstoppable shots. But what you like to see from the Flyers is the fight they showed. They were down nearly every period and either tied the game or got it back within one. Even at the very end, they were down 6-4 or 6-4 and then 7-5. And they just kept crawling back at the end of the game. They did a they pulled the goalie, so they had six on five, and then they got a power play, so six on four, scored right away, did everything right, were really close to 
getting some more shots on goal in the final, you know, 30, 40 seconds of that game to tie it up 7-7. Ultimately, they were climbing back from behind too much in this game, and it, it never just never came to be. But a really good fight. They scored another shorthanded goal. They're now league-leading 14th shorthanded goal. It's incredible how good this team is at killing power plays and scoring against the power play. I, I know I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but just I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's sort of a good metaphor for this team itself that when the other team has the advantage, they can catch you off guard. And that's how this team was. No one expected this team to be this good this year, and they've caught everyone off guard. So that's just their style. It's You underestimate them a little bit where you think you have the advantage, that's when they're going to strike. Um, and my last note is just uh, fuck Sidney Crosby. Just I've been a Flyers fan my whole life, and that's just the way it is. And he keeps doing what he's doing. You've had a great career. You should retire soon. I think it's time. We've seen enough. Hang it up. Moving on to the Phillies. We're back. The Fightins are back. They are 2-0 in spring training. Line up on Broad Street. We're winning the World Series. It's been decided today. Phils are looking good. Um, nah, spring training doesn't matter. I don't really care really that much about any of the preseasons. I hate NFL preseason. I don't care about summer league or NBA preseason. Spring training, in terms of like results, I don't care. But it is just cool, I think more than the other sports, for baseball to be back. To be able to see the people, you know, turn on your TV, hear the broadcast and see everyone in the stands. And, you know, you got seeing some of your favorite players and hear the crack of the bats and all that stuff. It's it's good for baseball to be back. It just reminds me of spring and spring's my favorite season. And so it gets me excited. The results or what happens and who looks good and who looks bad. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. On that note, Scott Kingery looking pretty good. Scott Kingery, he's a utility infielder that's been pulled up and down for the Phillies from minor league to their team for the past several years now. There was a period where people basically thought he was going to be what Bryson Stott is in a way, or he'd be the next Utley, just another great infielder for this team. And he just never has really consistently found his footing as a major leaguer. Um, but he's playing well so far in spring training. So maybe this is just par for the course, the typical February Scott Kingery moment where he says, he shows himself and everyone thinks, okay, here he is. He's back. He's ready to go. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I don't I don't think he's going to end up, you know, as a true player on this roster. But either way, Fightins are back. Fun to see. Love talking baseball. Love looking forward to uh, watching them play some more. And I, I really look forward to the start of the season because I think, like Nick Castellano said, returning a lot of this team, keeping the core players, and with – a group motivation of getting back to a world series. I think this should be a fun year and having a, yeah, a healthy Harper and hopefully a normal Trey Turner for the start of the season. They can actually get out to a good start and be a good team the whole year and not wait till the second half of the season to turn it on. Go Phils. And real quick union talk union with a thrilling tie against Chicago in the CONCACAF tournament. Um, so good for the union. Love, love getting a tie. Love soccer. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more union a little more later in this year, but uh, give them a shout out for that awesome tie. That's all I got. We'll see you guys later in the week.